Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Go ahead and uh, take your outlines out. And just so you know, if you're somebody who's new here at Crosswinds, we usually work with the outlines. I'll help you fill that outline out as we work our way th through things this morning. A couple fill in the blanks will be helpful for you. And I want to begin by asking you a question. Who here wants to be used by God in your life and in this world? Does anybody want to be useful for God? Well, I hope all of you do. I mean, I would like to make a difference for Jesus Christ in my time and my generation. My prayer for my life has been for years. God, use me in any way you see fit. And I hope that's the prayer of every single one of us. God, use me to make a difference for Christ, make a difference for his kingdom in this time and in this generation. Wherever you have planted me, please use me. That's the desire of my heart. That's the desire of yours, I hope. Now the question becomes is what do we need to do to put ourselves in a position where we can be useful for God? where God can use us in all kinds of good ways to advance his kingdom. That is what the text we're going to be looking at this morning answers. How can we put ourselves in a position to be useful for growing Christ and his kingdom? As you know, um, many of you know, we're working our way through 2 Timothy. This morning we find ourselves in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. So I'd like to ask you to take out your copy of God's Word. I don't care if it's a cell phone Bible or if it's a paper Bible. It doesn't matter. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. And then stand out of reverence for God's Word. Follow along with your eyes in your copy of God's Word as I read. We're only going to be working, at th working through three verses today, but there's a lot in these three verses. 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 22. Paul writes, Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. That ends the reading of the Word of God. You can be seated. Last week I told you we were going to try and work through this section all the way to verse 26. We were going to do it on this Sunday, but Pastor Jordan and I, as we talked through things, we decided to break the section into two pieces. So we're just going to cover verses 20 through 22 today. And then we'll do 23 through 26 next week because there is an awful lot in here. Last week when we were looking at the verses prior to this where Paul was talking to Timothy about how to evaluate a pastor, he gave Timothy a, a metaphor. He said a, a good pastor is like a craftsman, is like a workman is the term he used. 
And a good workman or a good craftsman literally cuts the word of God straight. Remember that? That's what we learned about that metaphor. But as he continues in this section, he gives us another metaphor for what a good pastor or even what a good Christian looks like. It's they are a vessel, a vessel that is ready for honorable use. And what does that mean? We're going to cover that this morning. So the outline we're going to use is simply this, just three points, three verses, one point per verse. The first verse is going to explain this metaphor of the vessel and what it means. The second point is going to apply this and what we can learn from this for our daily life. And the third point will go a little deeper in some more practical ways that we can apply the metaphor of a clean vessel to our everyday world. So let's begin, start on verse 20, and we'll dive in from there. And here's what we learn. Household objects teach us about our usefulness to God. Verse 20. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. And he talks about a large house. And he starts talking about vessels. And that sounds like a very strange word. It's a very general word. And it's intentionally general. Because the Greek word behind this is a very general word. It means any kind of household stuff. Anything that you could fit into the moving van is what would qualify for being a household vessel. If you have a big house, you have a lot of stuff. You have silverware, you have plates, you have cups, those cereal bowls, you even have trash cans. I mean, you have all kinds of stuff. And he says, some of these things that you have in your house are honorable. This is the kind of stuff when you have people over. You get the best china out from the china cabinet and you serve the meal to your guests on those things. But other things in your house are a little less honorable. You wouldn't serve your guests anything on them. You know that thing you use to clean out the cat box with? That's what you call less honorable use. Still a use, but less honorable in that. And uh, where is Paul going with this whole idea of the, the house and the stuff we have in a house? And what does this teach us about living the Christian life? Let me see if I can sh sort of put this together a little bit. Paul has talked about the church, us, being what is God's house. We saw that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. That was a, in the previous letter he wrote to Timothy. He said, if I delay you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. A pillar and what is oftentimes it says buttress, but could be used as foundation of the truth. So he says, in um, the church, which is God's household, it's sort of a, a, a mixed bag, quite honestly. Uh, some people are like silver and gold objects. They're ready for honorable use. Clean, ready to go, they're presentable. But in the church, there's also some people that are, should we say, less than honorable use. 
you know, maybe they're sort of a, the cat box scoop idea, or maybe they're those kind of people that they're, they could be honorable use. You want to think of this way. They're like dishes that are in the sink, but they just need to be washed. They need to be cleaned before they could become very honorable and, and really useful for God. And by the way, the idea of us in the church being people who would depart from iniquity, that we would focus on holiness so we would increase our usefulness to God, it's actually the very thing that Paul has been talking about in the verse prior to this. Go back one verse to verse 19. He said this, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And then he said this, And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So we are vessels in God's house. And here's how it works. Our usefulness to God is in direct correspondence to our holiness before God. Our holiness and our purity before God results in our usefulness to God. Now, let me just go ahead and look at some of this one here. Um, here's what he says. As he continues, When I cleanse myself from sin, I put myself in a position to be useful for God. As he continues in the next verse, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, and ready for every good work. Nobody wants to be like the dirty dishes in the sink, right? Because if you're the dirty dishes in the sink, the master of the house can't use you. In fact, you need to be cleaned up so you could be useful again, so you could be used as a serving plate uh, again. And so the idea here is he says, folks, as Christians... We need to clean ourselves to increase our usefulness. Now, as I start to talk about this, maybe for some of you, the Holy Spirit began putting his finger on your heart about an issue of sin that you know about that maybe nobody else knows about. An issue that you've kept hidden, that you've continued to tolerate. Maybe it's for weeks or it's for years you need to know that if we continue to tolerate sinfulness in our life, it really shuts down the usefulness we have for God in our life. It does. Another way to think about that is maybe you're in a questionable relationship with somebody of the opposite sex. Maybe that relationship started on the internet. And every once in a while, you reach out to them through Facebook. You know it's not gone too far, but it could go farther. That's a sinful area. It needs to be cleaned up because according to our holiness shall become our usefulness. Another way to think about that is maybe you're harboring bitterness. Maybe you're harboring unforgiveness because there's somebody that had hurt you deeply in your life. And you know you need to forgive them, but you keep holding on to that. 
You're constantly angry at them and bitter towards them. But by being unwilling to forgive them, it's not just hurting them, it's hurting you. It's diminishing your usefulness for God. I was thinking about this verse. It was actually my Iron Man verse, which is a verse that um, some of the men that I, I memorized scripture with during the week, I, I wrote this one down. It's uh, this, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Do you realize as Christians, we are to be legendary for how forgiving we are towards people? When people repent, how quick we are to let it go? Isn't it great that when we confess our sin to Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all, un of un all unrighteousness on the spot? If Jesus forgives us so completely and fully, we are to mirror Jesus, imitate Jesus, and forgive others completely and fully, just like he forgives us. When we do that, we become people that are useful for Christ and his kingdom. When we refuse to, that, to do that, it diminishes our usefulness for Christ and his kingdom. Let me give you another point here. When I cleanse myself from sinful influence... I put myself in a position to be useful for God. Now, the particular kind of defilement that Paul was talking about here uh, to Timothy has to do with the kind of people he was willing to let himself hang around with in his life. And that doesn't become, come across real obvious in the English. It comes across, I think, a little more obvious in the Greek. And you can see some of the difficulty in the translation, as we'll cover in a moment about this. But Paul is talking about, Timothy, be careful about how much you hang around with people like Hymenaeus and Philetus. Remember we talked about those guys last week? The bad teachers who had departed from the church and were no longer faithfully teaching the gospel and don't be hanging around with them too much because what ends up happening is their false teaching will start to rub off on you and their godless lifestyle will start to rub off on you as well. Because if you deviate doctrinally, you will deviate in life. By the way, let's look at this one here. Watch out for the danger of doctrinal deviations. Paul warned about that in 1 Timothy. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, that results in godliness, he is puffed up with conceit, understands nothing, and he'll have a healthy, unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produces envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in their mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. People who depart from the truth of the Word of God as it's taught in Scripture, you will find that, that when they deviate in doctrine, they will deviate in their lifestyle. 
and they will soon be involved in unhealthy controversies, constant friction, constant quarreling, bickering, fighting. So Paul says to Timothy, and he says to us, you know, be careful who you hang around with and what they believe, because you can start to find yourself believing what they believe, and you could also start to find yourself picking up on the bad life that they are living, the quarreling, the constantly craving, and controversy. But it's not just the doctrine that's an issue here. It's the lifestyle. Watch out for the danger of lifestyle deviation. And this is the part I think that's a little bit more difficult to pull out of the text, but it's here. I'll show you some of the difficulties here. It says, if anyone cleanses himself, and the ESV says, from what is dishonorable. But if you look at the footnote, it, the footnote is this. You could also read it, or from these things, really general, he will be a vessel for honorable use. The NIV says it this way. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter, these things that came earlier, will be instruments for special purposes. The latter and what came earlier were Hymenaeus and Philetus who had departed from the truth. The point is, you have to be careful when you're hanging around with people who claim the name of Christ but are not actually living for Christ. That's important, and most of us don't ever talk about that. There are people in the church who claim Christ but don't have much interest in following him. I'll give you an example on this. I went to a Christian college. I was thrilled. I went to a public high school. Hey, I get to go to a Christian college. There's going to be all these Christians in college with me. Isn't that going to be great? I quickly discovered it's not like that. Freshman year, okay. Oh, this is great. There are two missionary kids that are right down the hall from me in the dorm room. Didn't take long until they got in trouble for growing pot in, the, in, in, in planters in their windows. Ah, that didn't go well. First week of being in school, the upperclassmen are like, hey, we always go to watch midnight movies. I'm like, you know, oh, cool, I'll go with you, yes. Watch the midnight movies. They said, I said, what are we going to watch? Well, it's a comedy. We always watch them. I'm like, sure. It wasn't a comedy. They wouldn't let me know what I was going in to see. It was a terrible horror flick. Didn't sleep for two days, quite honestly. I mean, it was nasty stuff. I can still remember it clearly to this day. But after that, I'm like, I'm not going to the movies with you anymore. You may be claiming the name of Christ, but you're not living for Christ. If we hang out all the time, I'm not going the direction you're going to go. I know I'm going to start thinking like you, acting like you, and living like you. And I can't go there. I need to create some separation between us. This week, as I was um, reading through the Bible in my own personal quiet time, I ran across this verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and it really just fits really well into this section. Paul writes this to the Corinthians. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the, this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you to not associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother 
if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. If someone's a Christian and they're involved in sexual morality, which means expressing their sex outside of a marriage covenant, which means premarital sex, if it means extramarital sex, draw a line. So I, I can't be hanging out with you. This is not going to pull me in the direction I need to go. If they're a Christian that's known for being greedy, which means they really love money more than they love God, draw a line. If they're an idolater, which means they've taken up other things like maybe sports, like maybe football, some kind of other thing that they love obviously more than God, draw a line there. If they're a reviler, that means somebody who is a, uses their tongue for slandering or for insulting. That's not the kind of Christian you want to hang out with because then what will you start doing after a while? Slandering and insulting just like them. Drunkard or a swindler. Swindler means somebody who sort of takes advantage of people. Don't hang out with them. Now, I'm not saying they're not a Christian at all. I can't judge that. But maybe a better way to put it is they're a dirty dish. Until those issues of sin are cleaned up in their life, they're not going to be useful for God in this life. Because God uses clean dishes, holy vessels. That's what he says. By the way, a few verses to support this kind of stuff. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Or 2 Thessalonians 3.14 If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Sometimes you have to say, hey, I've got to separate myself from you. This is pulling me in a direction I shouldn't go. Hebrews 12.15 See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. When you're around a bitter and spiteful person, does that begin to become catchy? Does bitterness start to spread? Yeah, it does. Same idea here. Now, what are the benefits? What are the benefits of pursuing cleanness, uh, of repenting of sin, and also making sure if there's people you need to separate yourselves from because they claim the name of Christ, but they're obviously not following Christ, what are the benefits of that, of becoming a clean and holy vessel? Here's what we learn. When I cleanse myself from sinful influence, I become a vessel for honorable use, is what Paul says to Timothy. You will find God using you in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of situations, to be able to share his name, to be able to encourage others. You want to be useful for God? Cleanse yourself, and he will use you in all kinds of honorable ways. And he also says this, when I cleanse myself from sinful influence, I become useful to the master. In other words, he's going to start to use you all the time. A good way to think about this is a toolbox. Any of you guys have a toolbox in the garage? 
And the rest of you, I hope, just didn't put your hands up because everybody has a toolbox in the garage. I figured that would be real easy. I have a toolbox, and in my toolbox, I have some of those tools that you bought and you know you're probably only going to use once in your life. I have this one thing. It's about this round. It's a drill. I had to use it to drill a hole in the laundry room floor when I first moved here 13 years ago so I could make an, a hole for my dryer vent to get out of my house. I remember buying it and like, I'm going to buy this. It will never be used again in my life, most likely. And it will sit in my garage forever. And 13 years later, it is still sitting there. But I also have this thing called a DeWalt power drill. Does anybody have a power drill? Like, that is your go-to tool, isn't it? You're grabbing it all the time. Well, it's sort of like when you clean yourself and you repent of issues of sin and you separate from yourself from those who'd be pulling you down in the sense of uh, taking away your purity for God and distracting you from that, God becomes eager to use you. He, you become his go-to person. I need to bring the gospel into this person's life. He grabs us. He pulls us. He, all of a sudden, he starts putting us in situations where we're making a difference. According to our holiness, so shall be our usefulness. Another one to mention here. When I cleanse myself from sinful influence, he said, we are ready for every good work. We're put in a position that we're ready to go for God whenever he needs us. Some of you are like me. Uh, I'm a DIY guy. Do it yourself all the way through. One of my latest DIY projects is called Fertilizing the Lawn. Once I had a quote and discovered how much it costs to pay to have your lawn fertilized, I'm like, I can do this myself. I can go to the farm supply store, I'll buy the fertilizer, I'll spread it, and eventually I bought a spreader and, you know, does the whole twisty thing. But I also learned from YouTube that you better take care of your fertilizer spreader or it will not last too long. And since I spent money on it, that means I'm going to take care of it. So what I need to do is after I use it, I learned you always wash it down. And if the, met the paint gets scraped off, you must paint over the metal because otherwise it rusts in a hurry because fertilizer makes it rust. And then, by the way, this is a freebie, guys. I learned this off YouTube. The cables and the gates, you spray them with PAM. Because what that does is it, the oil on it uh, keeps the oxygen off it so it doesn't begin to rust. So when you leave it on the shelf, as soon as I need it, it is ready to go. Isn't that pretty cool? To think that if we cleanse ourselves from issues of sin and deal with those issues in our life, when we know they're there, maybe no one else knows they're there, but we know they're there, it puts us in a position where we're ready to be used by God. When he grabs you and pulls you off the shelf and says, I need you in this relationship. I need you to witness to these people and to make a difference. Once again, according to our holiness, so shall be our usefulness. Now when we get into verse 22, he gets very practical on some of these things. If I want God to use me, I must run from some things, and I must run to other things. So flee youthful passions, 
and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So you flee some things and you run after or pursue other things. Let's look at this first one. Flee youthful passions. Um, the idea is there are some things that you just have to run from because they will destroy your usefulness for God. And we hear youthful passions. You know what the first thing that comes into our mind is? Sexual temptations. Flee from sexual temptations because they can ruin your usefulness and effectiveness for God. Which is, by the way, that's very true. Uh, the Bible always says when it comes to sexual sin and sexual temptations, the way that we handle those as Christians is we don't sit there and negotiate with them. We don't talk with them. We don't continue to tantalize ourselves with them. What do we do? We run. Get out of there as fast as possible. Joseph and Potiphar's wife, Genesis 39 verse 12, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled and got out of the house. 1 Corinthians 6.18 Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. But I think it's worth noting that when he says here, flee youthful passions, he's just not talking about sexual sin. In fact, he doesn't go anywhere to develop this exclusively along the lines of sexual sin. He keeps this very broad. There are certain things that characterize younger leaders which can ruin their effectiveness for God. You ever seen that in a young leader? A young leader starts to get prideful. A young leader starts to build up an ego. A young leader starts to be arrogant. Run from those things. It'll destroy your effectiveness and youthfulness for God. In fact, if we go into the following verses that we're going to cover next week, we find some of those very kind of things. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. <clears throat> but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Young leaders can be quarrelsome. They like to fight. Young leaders are oftentimes not known for their kindness. They're not known for their gentleness. They're often known for their headstrongness. He says, run from those. And by the way, he says, it's not just a matter of what we run from that matters. It's also what we run to that matters. Because when you run from something, you have to run after something. You are going somewhere. And then he says this. These are the things to pursue. And by the way, before I get into the four things he gives us to pursue, I'm going to give one that's not in the text, but I think it could be very appropriately applied, which is this. Pursue reading the Bible. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. If you want to become somebody who is useful for God, keep your finger in the text. God's word will rebuke you, correct you, encourage you, 
nourish you in ways you have never been able to understand the more you continue to do that. This past week, somebody who's newer at Crosswinds stopped in my office and was talking to me uh, about how they came to Christ. And you know how it all happened? They began reading their Bible. Like, not actually just hearing it taught. They were in a different church. They, they started reading their Bible. And they said, it was like God started opening their eyes. And as they read their Bible, like, well, that applies to this part of my life. And that applies to that part of my life. And they totally changed by pursuing reading God's Word. Now, as a church, remember, we're on this take up and read challenge for all of 2021. We're challenging you to read through a book or a small number of books uh, in the Bible per month. And we just finished working our way through the Gospel of Luke in February. For March, we are reading through the book of Genesis. It's 50 chapters. If you go Monday through Friday, where you have five weeks in March, that gives you 25 times to read. So I would challenge you, if you have not been joining us before, this is a good time to onboard, join us. And if you've already been reading through the Bible with the rest of your church family and you read through Luke, join us in Genesis. Here's the deal. Just read Monday through Friday, two chapters a day. The card in your bulletin explains things to you. And when you fall behind, which I do, which everyone does, there's this thing called the weekend where we have a chance to catch up. Which, by the way, Cindy and I sometimes are doing that. Saturday morning, we're catching up. That's okay. That's why we have margin in there. Very important thing to pursue. Now let's go to what Paul says. Pursue active righteousness. Pursue doing what is right. It puts you in a position to be useful for God. And notice I differentiated between active righteousness and passive righteousness. Passive righteousness is super easy. It's don't steal from Walmart. Most of us don't have a problem with that. Active righteousness means go out of our way to do what is right, even though we don't have to do what is right. The Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. To obey that is active righteousness. A friend of mine told me this illustration this week, which is a perfect, perfect way to illustrate this. He was in the grocery store around Christmas time. There was an old lady in front of him, and as the old lady's paying for her, uh, her grocery items, she reaches back and grabs a, a gift card off the shelf behind her and gives it to the lady at the checkout line and says, could you put $100 on that? And the lady, you could tell, it's been long hours. She was a difficult day. She had to try a couple times to even get the money on the card. She couldn't get it right. She was frustrated and tired. She gave the card back to the old lady, and she said, I'm sorry it took so long. And the old lady took it and held it, and then said, it's for you. Gave it to her, and then just walked right out the door. That is called active righteousness. A choice to love your neighbor as yourself. When you pursue active righteousness, I guarantee you, it puts you in a position where God will start using you in this world and in this life. He'll start using you to make an impact in people's lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ in ways you didn't expect. Pursue that and become useful for him.
he also says, pursue faithfulness. And that is pursue faithfulness in my character. The issue here is not saving faith, but as I said, it's character faith. Who are you? Are you a person who is faithful, trustworthy, and loyal? Pursue being that kind of person to people around you. The one who is faithful, loyal, and trustworthy to others. Because here's what happens. Do you know what a 2 a.m. friend is? A 2 a.m. friend is who are you going to call when your world falls apart? When all of a sudden you start to realize maybe you are going to lose your job. Or your wife, or your husband, or your children are diagnosed with cancer. Or something terrible happens with them or to them. Who are you going to call? It's your 2 a.m. friend. And who will those 2 a.m. friends be? The ones who have been faithful, loyal, and trustworthy to you. And then all of a sudden you realize, God, thank you for giving me this opportunity to be useful for you, to be helpful for you, and to make a difference in your kingdom. So when we pursue that kind of character, God opens the door of usefulness. Another one, he says, pursue, pursue love. And this is love in action, by the way. Um, some of you know that in English, we use the term love for everything. We love hamburgers, yet we love our spouse. And hopefully we don't love our spouse and the hamburger the exact same way. But in Greek, they have a number of different words for love to specify what you're talking about. And the word used here is agape love, which means love of choice. I choose to love someone even when there is lo nothing lovely about them or attractive about them. I'm not drawn to them, but I choose to love them. So maybe you're somebody who's younger, and you hang around with people that are your age, because everybody who's your age is cool, of course. But then there's these older people, like your parents' age, or even older than your parents' age. Choose to love them. Choose to pursue knowing them building a relationship with them. And you'll find God will start to use you. Or the other way around. Maybe you're somebody who's older and more mature and you just avoid those younger people. Don't do that. Pursue them. Pursue loving them. Even though there's nothing that draws you to them, choose to love them and God will use you. The last one is this. Pursue peace in my relationships. And I think that we all know that there's, in this world there are some people who are peacemakers and some people who are conflict generators. Be a person who creates peace in relationships, not generates conflict in relationships, and you'll find that God will start using you in ways you never expected. So let me summarize this. It's right here in the back of your outline. Conclusion. How can I put myself in a position to be useful for God? There's eight things and only two verses. Number one, clean the sin out of my life. Address those issues that you know about in your heart that no one else knows about in your life. Because until those issues are addressed, you will not be useful to God. Number two, avoid relationships with those who claim the name of Christ but are living openly opposed to Christ. 
that sort of starts to rub off. It sort of starts to change you. Number three, run from youthful passions. Number four, pursue reading my Bible. Number five, pursue active righteousness. Not just avoiding doing what's wrong, but going out of your way to do what is right and to bless others. Pursue faithfulness in your character, loyalty, trustworthiness. Number seven, pursue love in your actions. Choose to love people, even if there's nothing lovely about them, and pursue peace in my relationships. And what you will find is that put yourself in a position where God starts to grab you off the shelf and use you in ways you never expected to make a difference for his kingdom in this world, which is really the one thing we all hope for and the one thing we all pray for. Robert Murray McChain lived in the 1800s, and he sort of summarized this passage this way. He said, According to a man's holiness, so shall be his success. A holy man is an awesome weapon in the hands of God. That's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for me that we would be men and women who are awesome weapons in God's hands, used by him to make a difference in this world and to build his kingdom. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you that when it comes to making a difference in this world, it's not a matter of our skillfulness. It's really a matter of our holiness that matters. That no matter how skillful we are, or even how skillful we're not, you will use us as we commit ourselves to following you with all of our hearts. As we commit ourselves to addressing the issues of sin in our life, and we pursue trustworthiness, we pursue faithfulness, and we pursue a character that is pleasing to you. Maybe we men and women who do that this week. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.